in the spirit of Palm Sunday, um, turn to somebody and say, blessed are you. You know where this comes from? When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the crowd said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So just, you've come today in the name of the Lord. Just turn to someone and say, blessed are you, which is not how you normally talk. So you're going to have to be, you have to be really energetic about it. Blessed are you. The proper response is, oh, blessed are you. You feel blessed? Who, who is the most blessed? All right. Uh, let me ask you a follow-up question then. Uh, what does it mean to come in the name of the Lord? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What does it mean to come in the name of the Lord? I'm going to give you eight seconds to think about it and be brilliant. Go. What does it mean to come in the name of the Lord? All right, what you got? Who's got brilliant answers? Right. As one who is a representative of the Lord. So if you come in the name of the Lord, you're supposed to represent the Lord. You're supposed to be his, uh, I don't know, his agent. His agent. All right, that's good. I like that. Who's got another one? Ambassador of peace. All right, so if you're representing the Lord in this case, then you're going to be an ambassador of peace, which is a loaded phrase, right? You could unpack that because what the heck does that mean, ambassador of peace? But that's good. Well, come in the name of the Lord. What does it mean? Yeah. And with his authority. So you don't just represent him in, in style, but you carry some of his authority, some of his power, and that's going to mean something. If you're carrying the power of the Lord, it ain't nothing. Right, so it's going to have some effect. So that's interesting. You could think about that and unpack that quite a bit. One or two more. What does it mean to come in the name of the Lord? Rich. I come in faith and peace. That's interesting, right? Because if you come in the name of the Lord, it's going to require some faith, right? And if you've been traveling uh, in Jesus' name for a while, you know that to be true. Faith and confidence. At Blue Water, we say faith means trying, so it's going to mean that you're going to have to try the things of the Lord, right? If you come in the name of the Lord, you'll have to try the things of the Lord. Hope you'll do it in the spirit of peace and, and uh, a lot of power. What else? One more. Who's got the best answer? Go. No pressure. Mia, of course. Here it is. You bring all of the Lord's goodies with you. All the presents, all the blessings, all this stuff. If you come in the name of the Lord, you've got the whole kit, man. You've got, you got the big cooler. You've got the beach cooler, not just the lunch cooler, right? Uh, that one would expect to see the fullness of the Lord in you if you come in the name of the Lord, right? That's kind of interesting. Okay, great answers. Uh, and, and I would agree with them. I think that if you come in the name of the Lord, it says that you are about the Lord's business in some way. Uh, the first time Jesus visited the temple of the Lord, well, the first recorded time we have, uh, he's just a kid, right? He's 12 years old. He's in Jerusalem, and his parents lose track of him. They lose track of him in the mall, you know? Uh, and uh, many of us have had that experience, and they bustle around Jerusalem. They finally find him. He's been in the temple chatting with uh, the priests about deep things of the kingdom, and his parents are like, where did you go? And he says, well, um, didn't you know that I'd be in my father's house? You know, didn't you know I'd be about the Lord's business? Um, because you know, I have come in the name of the Lord. It's uh, an interesting thing for a 12-year-old uh, to say. I sometimes have that experience of being, of, 
of like coming in the name of the Lord, arriving in the name of the Lord. Of course, I try to live like that in my life generally. I try to like show up someplace and kind of represent Jesus well, as many of you do. You know, that's kind of the point uh, of being a, a Christian in this world. Um, from time to time, uh, as you know, I get to travel places to minister. You know, people will invite me to come. Uh, occasionally, I don't get invited. I go anyway. Um, you know, go to maybe some country, some culture that has no interest in Jesus, and I try to foment some interest. But occasionally, I get invited to go to, like, you know, big Christian conferences and stuff like that. And, and sometimes I get to take some of you with me, and we go as a ministry team and just kind of bring the things of the kingdom that the Lord has shared with Blue Water, and we carry that stuff with us where we go. And uh, I did, uh, uh, it wasn't a huge conference. It was sort of a, a kind of a three-day weekend sort of conference I did for a collection of churches in, in the Midwest um, and uh, with some people that I, I had kind of, I met once, I kind of knew. Um, but they thought that um, I was a good representative of Jesus. You know better. Um, but uh, you know that my version of counseling is just to stand in my front yard and throw knives at things. That's, that's what you guys know. Uh, but they didn't know that, right? So they thought that, you know, I was a good kingdom minister, that I was a good power minister. So I get off the plane in, uh, in uh, Michigan after flying all night, you know, that flight that you take, the red eye from Honolulu, haven't slept in 36 hours. I get off the plane, uh, drop off my luggage, and immediately go out because the couple that was hosting me, this pastoral couple, thought that I'd be a great evangelist, right, because I was coming in the name of the Lord. A uh, little dirty secret. I don't, you know, I'm, I try, right? But I'm not great. And the reason is because I'm not very friendly. Uh, well, that's one of the reasons. Um, but they're like, no, you're going to come meet this guy who's like this. Uh, the guy, is, they knew he was an atheistic scientist, you know. And so it was great. They just took me straight to this restaurant. It was a beer garden. And they ordered a bunch of great dark beer just so that I could talk Jesus to this guy who didn't believe in God. So, you know, two pints later, man, I was flowing. <laughs> and they came, but it was a great conversation, actually, and, and had some prophetic moments in it, and, you know, you know effective, I think. But, you know, th th it only happened because this pastoral couple had already set it up for me, right? They'd already made a way, right? And then I showed up, and they just kind of plugged me in and said, do that PhD stuff that you do. They knew I had a PhD for all that matters. And I said, sure, pour the beer. Um, and then from there, we went to the home of like a sick friend. And they just kind of had all this, these appointments for me because they figured that when I showed up, I would have an impact. So they made, they made a way, you know, me to show up. And when that stuff happens, as you can imagine, it makes my job a lot easier, right? Because there's expectation and there's faith. And it's like the soil has been prepared it's like when you expect a miracle, then you don't need greatness, right? You just need some guy to show up uh, in the name of Jesus and to try really hard to be Jesus in the place. So what is that? That's like, that's welcoming, that's faith, that's preparedness, that's a willingness, you know, to go and to throw down. It's the body working together. So I've had this experience hundreds of times at this point. And here's a quality that I think helps me when I show up in the name of the Lord, so to speak, as best I can. I think what helps me is that when people treat me like I'm special, 
but not too special. Yeah, I know, the second part is easy. Shut up. Um, don't laugh at me, Cat Kim. Shh. Uh, what I mean is, like, when I show up and people have expectation, oh, well, he's coming in the name of the Lord. He's coming with the power of the Lord. He's coming with the faith of the Lord. He's coming with some sort of peace, some sort of restoration of the Lord. He's coming with, with the goodies. We're going to see goodies more easily now uh, because this guy has shown up. But, but you also have to really treat me as accessible, right? As a guy that you can take out for beers in order to evangelize, right? There, it's like, it's this two-tone quality to it. Do you get it? And the reason I'm talking about myself like that is because I think the same thing is true of, of Jesus. Obviously, I'm a very, very poor imitation of Jesus. But I note in Scripture that Jesus kind of has the same atmosphere around him. People kind of see him as special, but not too special, right? See him as like, oh, the ambassador of the Lord, who we can invite over to our house as a party and, for a party and just kind of hang and see what happens. You know, that's the quality of Christ. And in some ways, that's like the exact quality that we are celebrating on Palm Sunday, right? That someone very, very special has shown up in a way that is only sort of special, so it suits us, you know, so it suits the likes of us who are poor imitations. Let's read the story of Palm Sunday from Mark chapter 11. Uh, I'm going to read, it's kind of a longish passage. I'm going to read, Palm Sunday is uh, a celebration of Jesus entering uh, into Jerusalem. Sometimes it's called the triumphal entry. Have you heard that phrase before? Those of you who are into the Christian calendar liturgy. Uh, I'm actually going to read this, <clears throat> the story of the first three days. So the Sunday where Jesus shows up and enters Jerusalem, and then the, and then the couple days following. Because really, it's a story of a week. Sometimes uh, traditional Christians will call it Passion Week. Passion is another name for, well, it's another name for pain. It's another name for experience, uh, intense experience. And Passion Week starts with Palm Sunday, Jesus entering, and then he spends a week hanging out in Jerusalem doing all sorts of interesting things. Jerusalem was the center of the kingdom of Israel. It's like the capital city. It's like Washington, D.C., except much more important, uh, much richer. You know, it's the center of everything uh, for the nation of Israel. And up until that point in history, it had been the center of everything for those who worship the one true God. Uh, And... So he hangs out there the whole week. He shows up on Palm Sunday. Some interesting things happen on Monday or Tuesday. On Tuesday, we're going to take a look at those things. During the week, he does some miracles, gives some really important teachings. Uh, On Thursday, as you know, he gets uh, imprisoned. He gets captured, betrayed, and captured by um, first the religious authorities who then turn him over to the political authorities for execution. It's all very weird and, and conspiracied up. And then on Friday, he gets killed uh, in a very uh, humiliating fashion, hanging naked on a cross. And we call that day Good Friday. We're going to have a Good Friday service this Friday uh, from 7 to 8 p.m. And it's going to be uh, a meditative sort of liturgical service in which we help each other let go of things we need to let go of. Because one of the principles of the Passion Week is that uh, the seed has to die if it's going to bear fruit, you know, that you need to die if you want to be resurrected. And it's been a tough 
few years, man. It's been a tough few years in the world. I think probably quite a few of us have things that we just need to lay down, right? We just need to put to rest, so to speak. And then come Easter, well, that's the renewal. That's resurrection, it's new life, it's new beginnings, it's the promise of faith. So that's, that's a good week right there. There's a lot packed into that week. That's why they call it Passion Week, right? So this is the story of the first part of the week, the very first part of the week. Jesus is hanging out on the outskirts of Jerusalem in a suburb called Bethany at a house that he really, really likes. Uh, it's a house of a family that includes uh, this woman named uh, Martha, her sister named Mary, and their brother named Lazarus. So very interesting house. At this point, Lazarus is an ex-dead guy, which is very interesting. Uh, good dinner conversation. And Martha is like the hostess with the mostess, and Mary is just like all heart and worship, and it's just a lovely home. So he's hanging out there. And, uh, uh, and then making his way to Jerusalem for the week of Passover. Uh, which is a huge national celebration in Israel. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. That word colt means baby horse, or in this case, baby donkey, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Why are you stealing my colt? Tell him, the Lord needs it and will send it back shortly. So they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at the doorway. And they untied it. Some people standing there asked, what are you doing? Untying the colt. And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. So that's nice. Bit of prophecy there. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Uh, so evidently it accepted him as a rider, even though it had never been ridden before. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. That's why we do palms on Palm Sunday. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, which means God saves. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're quoting uh, from an Old Testament book there. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Basically, they are declaring him the promised Messiah, the promised one. They're very excited. And so from the suburbs into Jerusalem, they're having a little parade. They're throwing clothing in the streets to kind of pave the road, to kind of make the way smooth, so to speak, and branches and stuff like that to kind of make the way special. Jesus entered Jerusalem. Woohoo! Everybody, Hosanna. Hosanna. Not bad. Not bad. And went to the temple, which is the heart of everything. The heart of everything. He goes to the temple. The Messiah comes to the temple. This is a historical event that everybody was waiting for. Super, super special. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple, and he looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. He comes in, an event that has been prophesied for at least 500 years, looks around, and then goes back to his holiday inn. Uh, the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. It looked 
really full, but it had no fruit. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again, because he was hungry and grumpy. I don't know. He takes it out on the tree, and his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area. Having looked around formerly, he goes back. He enters the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? He's quoting an Old Testament prophet. But you have made it a den of robbers. He's quoting the prophet Jeremiah there. So he's just scathing in his criticism of the state of the temple. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him. Yeah, because he's acting like a vigilante. Because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. He was getting a following. When evening came, they went out of the city. Again, back to the Holiday Inn. In the morning, as they went along, this, this is third day, They saw the fig tree withered from the roots, which was miraculous because trees, of course, usually wither the other direction. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. You fig vandal. (laughs) Have faith in God, Jesus answered, which is an extraordinary answer. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for and pray, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Quotes there from the Lord's prayer a little bit which is interesting. So he responds to Peter's alarm with a little lecture on effective prayer, faith and forgiveness. That's the story of the first few days of Jesus entering Jerusalem. Snaps for the story. There's a lot going on there. It's a dense week. Let's just blow through this really quickly and and try to understand the story because it's all of a piece, right? This whole week is sort of one piece. And I think this story has a lot to do with the concept of entering What does it take to enter, to kind of make a way uh, for Jesus or perhaps uh, to make a way for someone into the presence of Jesus? Um, This idea of a triumphal entry was very common throughout the Middle East and it was super common in the Roman world. When a Roman general had a great military victory out in the world, he would parade back to Rome or whatever the the regional capital was, and he would be welcomed as a conquering hero. Uh, and the procession was, first through the gates in the parade would be all the treasure that they had captured on their military campaign. And then would come all of the prisoners of war, or at least a lot of them. Uh, and the prisoners of war, if it were warm, if it were Rome, would be paraded to the center of town, to the Colosseum, where they would be ceremonially executed. Woohoo, yay, because nothing says party like ceremonial execution of POWs. And then the soldiers would come in with all their banners, right, their, their legionnaire banners. And then finally at the end of the parade would come the conquering general in this gold-plated chariot or whatever fancy chariot they could, up, they could come up with, with, with stallions in front and the whole bit. And he would, you know, receive his laurels and uh, you know, have all sorts of special honor, and there would be a lot of partying 
as a result. So if you were, uh, Jerusalem, as you know, was occupied by Rome at the time. If you were a Roman soldier watching this triumphal entry, what would you think? You would think, well, this is a poor man's imitation. This is like kids playing dress up. This is nothing, right? They can't even, they can't even smooth out the potholes, right? They had to use their clothing, right? Because they didn't have quarried gravel to smooth out the road. That's what they were doing, by the way. You know, they were trying to smooth the road because that was the way that you said this entrance was special. So it was kind of farcical. It was kind of pathetic is what it was. But at least the Messiah was coming to Jerusalem and, and he came all the way to the center of town, all the way to the temple. And what did he do there? He did a little sightseeing and then went back. So if you were to characterize this triumphal entry, you would probably call it, well, special but not too special, right? It would be really, really, really moderate, <laughs> right? Kind of anticlimactic. What happens when the promised one makes it to the temple? Jesus had a reputation as a miracle worker. Some big miracle that was going to finally drive out the Romans and restore the kingdom of Israel? No, he just did some sightseeing and went home, right? But we know from the story that he thought about things, why? Because when he got up the next day to go back to Jerusalem, he was in a bad mood, right? So evidently he had seen something that bothered him. And he's going along the road, and he sees a fig tree by the road, right? What is a fig tree by the road? Well, it's like a vending machine. It's a way station. It's a rest stop. And so he goes up to the way station, and he looks for refreshment, and there's none there. It's kind of not the fig tree's fault, because it wasn't the season for figs, the story tells us. But in the kingdom of God, every season is the season of harvest. I mean, Jesus is making a point here. This tree was full of leaf. It looked to be fruitful, but it wasn't. Right? And it's like Jesus is saying, yeah, mercy. It's like Jesus is saying, do not look fruitful if you're not. Right? That will get you cursed. You know, you can look humble, you can look poor, but don't pretend you're rich if you're not. And in the kingdom of God, of course, richness is how much you have to give away. And this fig tree looked really, really good, but didn't have anything to give away. And Jesus is like, well, let this be a lesson to everyone. Is the fig tree, if you don't know, is the national symbol of the nation of Israel. So it's like Jesus cursed a bald eagle or something. Um, which that would, be, that would be mean. But, um, you know, it, it was not lost on the disciples, this uh, symbolism. And then he, uh, he uh, goes into Jerusalem to the temple uh, where he should have received a hero's welcome. And now he lets loose. Because the day previous he had seen what was going on in the temple, right? Because he had done some sightseeing. So he comes back with an agenda. And his agenda is tumultuous. And so he's in the, the outer courts, what is known as the, as the Gentile courts. It was the place in the temple that was specifically designed for anyone to enter. It, you had to be Jewish to go into the inner courtyard of the temple. But Gentiles, anyone who was interested in seeking God could go in the outer courts. It was, it was the lanai. It was the place of welcome for all nations by design, which is why Jesus said, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer for all. All nations, literally every ethne, every ethnic group, every people on earth, anybody can come to church. Amen. Anybody can come to church to find God. But what happened there is that because it was Passover, all the priests, all the ministers had turned it into a big convenience store. 
and you came to celebrate Passover, you needed a lamb to sacrifice, so they were selling uh, animals there at exorbitant rates probably, and you needed to make a financial contribution to the temple, so they were selling temple coins, which are coins without carbon images. Uh, at probably exorbitant exchange rates. You know, give me your Roman coins and we'll give you a religious coin and then you're okay to enter in. But what they did is that they crowded out the Gentiles. There was no place for a a non-Jewish person to have access. You see what they were doing? They were making it hard to enter. And this flips Jesus out, right? So he's, we've never seen him do a destructive miracle at any point in scripture. In, in one day, he curses a fig tree and ransacks the temple. In the Gospel of John, it says he made a whip out of cords and was snapping it at people. Like, he's angry. You want to make Jesus angry, make it hard for people to find him. Right? Have an unwelcoming attitude in life. Be exclusive. Just set Jesus off like that, you know? See, turning over tables and doing all this thing, and that's it. Now the religious people are like, we're going to have to kill this guy, you know, because the people evidently like this, you know. The people are like, yeah, I never felt comfortable here. (laughs) And and this guy doesn't feel comfortable here either. That's the story, right? Uh, The temple was blocked, was blocked. Uh, The seekers could not find a way to God. And Jesus had come as a way maker, And his religious allies turned out to be not so much allies. So the next morning they get up, they're going back to Jerusalem, and and I think the disciples are deeply shaken at this point. This is not what we expected Jesus to do. We expected him to be driving out the Roman, instead he's driving out the priests. We expected him to bless the nation of Israel, instead he's cursing the national symbol of Israel. We're a little bit freaked out right now. What's going on? And then they pass the fig tree and it's dead. And they're like, this is not going well at all. (laughs) Rabbi, teacher, look what you did. Look what you did. You know, the fig tree. And you're like, well, yeah. I mean, it didn't have fruit, guys. And instead of explaining himself, he turns and says, have faith. And be forgiving. This is the only thing I've ever preached, people. You're still hung up on kind of the military conquering hero. I'm not a conquering hero. I'm a different kind of hero. And you know, I'm, I'm special, but I'm not special like that. You know, like you have, to, you have to think this out. And I like the teaching he gives about faith. He says, when you pray, pray in faith. If you have pray, faith, you can move a mountain. And what he's doing there is kind of alluding to this, uh, this Old Testament scripture that we tend to associate with John the Baptist. You know, a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Cause the high places to be low and the low places to be high. Smooth the mountains. And he's saying, well, look, if you really want to smooth the way of God into your nation, your family, if you really want to smooth it, what it takes to make the high places low is not an army. What does it take? Faith. You know? Faith. I've been talking to you about faith for three years, guys. You thought there was a different way? No, this is going to take faith. And the fact that you're afraid right now shows how little faith you have. It's kind of what he's saying. It's kind of what he's alluding to. You know what else it takes to get in? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. You know? You see, I've just been forgiving people and showing mercy and grace left and right. What did you think it took to get in? A grand temple, a grand parade, a grand army? No, it's still 
faith and forgiveness. And if you are strong in those things, then you'll always make a way, you know, for people to get in. That, anyway, that's kind of Palm Sunday. That's, that's the meditation there. And it's a very traditional story. Christians celebrate it once a year. And I just uh, pray that we continually understand the story and what it is. We know the Easter message, right? The Easter message is about life, resurrection, promise, right? Everything can be made alive again, and that's lovely. And we know what the basic meditation of Good Friday is, you know, which is like, you know, you have to die to yourself if you want to live to Christ. You have to let go of your old self if you want to receive the new self that God has in mind for you. You have to make sacrifices if you want to reap heavenly treasure. Like, well, we get that. And there are different ways to meditate upon that. The sacrifice of Jesus released all sorts of grace in the world, all sorts of mercy, and it made a way for everybody. And we get it, you know, we get it, that the sacrifice of God is love, the language of love is sacrifice, and we are called to the same sort of sacrifice. Good Friday, it's gonna be a great service. You all should come. Friday at 7, and invite, invite non-believers because it will be accessible to them as well. But Easter, Good Friday, we get what's the message of Palm Sunday? What's the message of the beginning of Passion Week to the church? And I think it's really a meditation on entry. You know, what does it take to enter in? What does it take for Christ to enter into a people? What does it take for Jesus to enter into a church? What does it take for God to enter into a life? Right? Um, and then for those of us who have received him, what does it take for us to be an entry point for others? What does it take for us to be welcoming to other people who want to come in? You know, Jesus came as, an, as a way maker, an entry point, and he calls us to be way makers, entry points, which was his lesson with the fig tree and his lesson at the temple. You are a temple of God and you're crowding out non-believers? You're crowding out seekers? <laughs> Give me the whip. <laughs> really, I mean, that's kind of what he does. It's hard to make Jesus angry, but that makes him angry. Uh, how does Jesus enter into a people? How does Jesus enter into a life? Well, he enters in a way that's special, but not too special. Jesus won't conquer you. He doesn't come in with force, right? He comes in really humble. He doesn't come in parading on a big stallion with a chariot. He comes in riding on uh, a donkey, you know, a, a, young, a young donkey that doesn't even look like it can support him. Really shaky. Tells you everything you need to know about the humble spirit of God. You know, what do his people look like? You know, legionnaire banners, bronze armor. No, you know. They look like a bunch of four poor folks who can't even afford gravel for the road, who are, you know, cutting branches and stuff like that. They don't look impressive, but they look special. They don't look awesome, but they look different. There's something about that that's just a very fruitful meditation. Uh, and, uh, of course, Jesus is constantly telling us to make a way for other people to find him. And when people show up at at, uh, at the, the tree, let's say the church is the fig tree, they better find fruit, they better find refreshment, they better find rest, they better find help for their journey forward. If they don't find anything, then whew, your roots are going to go bad.
So that's very sobering, you know, very sobering. And if they come to the temple, if they come here, they better feel very, very welcome. Um, you know, if you're visiting here today, you should feel very, very welcome. If you're a regular here today, you should be welcoming, you know. That's the entry point. Everything else is gravy. Everything else is gravy. Reminds me about Jesus' comment about being the salt of the earth in his like, first big public sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus looks over a crowd of, well, it was a rabble. It was people from all over the countryside, Jewish people, foreign people, a lot of demonized people, a lot of sick and injured people, everybody poor. And uh, he said, you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world, which probably was very surprising to them to hear that because they felt like the dregs of society, like the ones who were unblessed, not the ones who were blessed. No, no, you're the salt of the earth. And if salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing except to be thrown out. So almost immediately, he puts this little sober point in it. It's like, yeah, you guys are special. What? And you better act accordingly, right? It's like, if we're special, Jesus, we must not be too special. Exactly. Exactly. And I will continue on this theme until the day I die, right? That's how he started, and this is how he, he ended. Maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel really special. You know, you know uh, that you've been called by the Lord, that you have a mission from Christ in this life, but you don't feel special enough to pull it off well. Perfect! Give each other high fives. If anybody feels really special, you've blown it. You've blown it. Um, there's this phrase that I use a lot, like heaven in a brown paper bag. Um, and uh, I, I feel like that a lot. It's like if, if I'm a citizen of heaven, I must be like heaven in a brown paper bag. You know, I'm not one of those like Tiffany boxes. No, no, you're like, I'm like, I'm like the, uh, the bag that you take, um, uh, that, you, that you pack for your lunch, you know, the bag that just has day-old musubi in it. And it's like, yeah, but then you open it up and you find, you find heaven. And uh, I have a feeling that Jesus was like that. I have a feeling that Jesus' parade was like that. Our job is to make a way for people to find Jesus, to appreciate how Jesus made a way for us. So I'm here to help you enter into relationship with God today. If you've never done that, then I'm here to be your way maker. And uh, guy needs somebody to make a way. And uh, there are plenty of other people here um, who are dedicated to be waymakers uh, for you. At Blue Water Mission, here's what, here's what we try to do. Here's what we try to do at Blue Water Mission. Seriously, this governs almost everything that we do. We try to make things really special, but not too special. <laughs> do you know what I mean by that? Yep. It's like, you know, impressive but ordinary at the same time, because there's something about that that is exactly the flavor of the kingdom of God. You know, we decorate the place, but there are no laser light shows here. I dress really fancy, but not too fancy. My shirt is clean. I shave, you know, but <laughs> thank you. I showered. We try to be really, really powerful. We try to be super powerful in all the ways that count, but really understated uh, in all the ways uh, that count. We try to be super accessible. And I'm just kind of describing that because I want everybody to 
to be that. I want you all to be extraordinarily powerful and unimpressive. And that is how we make a way. That is how Jesus made a way for you. He didn't force anything. He didn't prove anything. But he sure testified to a lot. You get the feeling? Um, and if we do our job really, really well for you today, you seeker, um, then we're going to offer you entry. But it's only going to be entry. All right, we can't force you in. We can't carry you in on, uh, on the current of God's river. You're going to need faith, and you're going to need forgiving, just like everyone else. Right? You're going to have to take the kingdom by faith, and you're going to have to forgive those that you need to forgive. That's basically the Jesus teaching. Right? Jesus made a much, uh, a much bigger deal of you forgiving people than he did of God forgiving you, because God's super willing to forgive you of whatever you've dragged in. Are you willing to forgive other people of stuff that they have done to you? Anyway, that's the teaching of Palm Sunday. What do you think? Yay! It's going to be a good week. Yay! It's going to be a week of entry for many of us. It's going to be a week of beginning relationship with God for some of you. It's going to be a week of letting go of stuff that you just need to let go of and then receiving the better thing that you're supposed to receive come Easter Sunday. It's going to be a prophetic and manifestational week in those ways because it's Passion Week, uh, because Jesus uh, loves it. He's got a special place in his heart for it. So I pray, Father, that uh, by your Spirit that you would empower every individual here to walk their journey this week from one station to the next station, from the outskirts to the center, from the center to the outskirts, that they would be refreshed and that they would be refreshment. Let go of the old, pick up the new, and move forward. In Christ's name, everybody says...